Thanks for tuning in to the Lake Forest Church Podcast. Lake Forest is a community for people who have given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our churches in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Uh, happy Thanksgiving week to you all, by the way. I hope you're looking forward to a little bit of break this uh, this next week. Uh, I'm really excited about what we're talking about today. I'm really excited you've chosen to join us this Sunday morning. Uh, I don't know what you've got planned for this week. If your family is anything like mine, you'll gather with some family and some friends uh, around a table in someone's home and uh, well, you'll cook a lot of food you otherwise wouldn't cook, right? Some odd kinds of food we make this time of year. Uh, you'll eat way more food than you should eat in, in any 24-hour period. And then you'll make all kinds of empty promises about what you're going to do diet or exercise-wise or all that next week. And you won't make good on any of that. And happy Thanksgiving to you, right? That's kind of how it rolls. Uh, in, in my house, uh, if yours is like anything like mine, at some point before we do any of that, we will gather around a table and we will do what a lot of families do at Thanksgiving. We will, we'll, we'll join hands and we'll bow our heads and we will pray. And if you are a pastor like I am, then all of your extended family just assumes it's your job on Thanksgiving to pray, right? That's just how it rolls. Uh, anytime we've got to call on the pastor, you know, so it's kind of funny. Uh, but I hope you've, you've, got, uh, you've got some good plans. You know, one of the things we don't often stop to think about when we pray uh, especially around a Thanksgiving table like that, is, is, is does that prayer actually matter? I mean, does, do, is that just an empty ritual that we do? Or do those prayers actually matter? You know, every day, uh, Barna actually reports, every day millions of people pray. Millions of people pray. Barna reports that 9 out of 10 people say they pray at least once a day. Isn't that interesting? Uh, we, we pray. We pray about small things like that. Maybe we give thanks for dinner, or maybe you, 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 know, you pray what uh, one author calls prayers of convenience. You know what those are, like, Lord, give me a parking spot close to the front door, you know, those, those kinds of prayers. Or, God, would you give us good weather for my kids' ball game today? You know, you know, those are. Or, Lord, would you please let there be at least one Tickle Me Elmo still available at the Black Friday or, or whatever day? Or what, what do you call it? Black Friday? Is it Black Friday? Is that what that's called? Yeah. You know, we, we pray these kind of little prayers, but some of us actually are prayer, praying much deeper prayers, uh, much bigger prayers, prayers like this. God, would you save my marriage? Or God, would you cure this illness? God, would you give me a job or a spouse or a child or a friend or a hope? And when we cry out to God from those deep desires in our life, do we really believe anyone's listening? Do we really believe there's someone on the other end of that line? Well, we've been in a series on prayer, and today we wrap up that series. And as we do that, I want to address, just kind of on the nose today, going to just kind of go, go right down the, the center lane. On the nose, I want to address four questions that might have come up for you during these weeks as we've been looking at prayer. And uh, after we address those four questions, I want to take the last ten minutes of our service to speak about the vision that God, we believe God's calling us to in 2020. So we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to take the last 10 minutes to do some vision work. Uh, so let's start with that first question that I've already mentioned. Does God hear our prayers? That's the question number one. You know, a friend of mine who's not a believer, he, he says that prayer is nothing more uh, than sanctified self-talk. 
right? That you're just kind of talking to yourself when you pray. He says, prayer is like sending an email. He says, it's like when I send an email to my terrible home phone service company, right? Uh, he says, you know, uh, he said, I'm not going to name the company, but it, it rhymes with A, B, and B. And uh, he says, you know, when, when you have bad service and you send an email to the customer service line, it's like sending something into the dark abyss of a black hole. You don't actually expect a return answer on the other end, right? He says he's not even sure there's a human being that works in that department anymore. So, you know, some of us think that that's what prayer is like, right? We're just kind of talking to ourselves. Man, nobody really out there listening. But the picture that the Bible gives of prayer is quite different and quite provocative. In fact, there's a fascinating moment back at the beginning of the Bible. God's people are in slavery in Egypt. Many of you will know this story. And they have been slaving away there. They've been working sun up to sundown seven days a week. They're making bricks. They're not allowed to have any hay to make their bricks. So it's like really laborious work. And the Bible tells us that they reach a breaking point and they cry out, to God. Look at, uh, look at this verse with me from at the book of Exodus. The Israelites groaned, groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. Now, those of you who were with us week one, remember, this was the first definition of our prayer. What is prayer? We said most fundamentally, prayer is looking up. And that's exactly what the Israelites do here. They're struggling. They're suffering. And so they cry out to God. And look at what the Bible says happens next. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Interesting. Now, this view of prayer in the ancient world was quite unique. In the marketplace of ancient worldviews and ancient world religions, no one assumed that their God heard their prayers. In fact, the vast majority of ancient world religions assumed quite the opposite. It, it, getting God's attention was, well, you had to have like a five-year-old level Walmart candy bar tantrum in order to get God's attention, right? It, it was a lot of noise and a lot of fanfare. And maybe just maybe if you screamed loud enough, put on a big enough show, your gods would hear your prayers, But the Israelites had a totally different understanding of prayer. They didn't see God as someone they had to beg for his attention. They knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that their God was a God who hears. Their God was a God who listens to their prayers. In fact, this experience in Egypt became such a defining mark for for the Israelites, for God's people, that it actually became something they bragged about to the other nations. This is from Deuteronomy, the very next book of the Bible. Look at this. This is so funny to me. They said, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? They're kind of boasting here, right? They were so confident in their God that their God hears. And of course, this gets carried throughout the rest of the Bible. I mean, every book of the Bible repeats this. The Psalms, this is everywhere. Psalm 34, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The prophets pick up on the same thing. And they say, our God is a God who hears the prayers of the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. And then we see this picked up in Jesus' ministry himself. Jesus lives with a deep and abiding confidence that his father hears him. In fact, one time Jesus was with his disciples. This, this is uh, kind of funny to me. They get into a little conflict with some Roman soldiers uh, in a garden, and Peter, like the 
you know, well, the boisterous one. He, he pulls out his sword, and the dude is ready to lay out, right? He's just all in. And Jesus is like, Peter, what are you doing, right? He says, do you not know that I could call on my Father in heaven right now, and we'd have like legions of angels to whip some Roman tail, right? That's what it says in the Greek, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Such was Jesus' confidence that his Father hears him. So the question, does God hear our prayers? Well, according to the scriptures, the resounding answer is yes, absolutely, he hears our prayers. But that leads to our next question, question number two for this morning. Okay, if God hears our prayers, Aaron, I get what you're saying, I get the person. If God hears our prayers, does, does God actually change as a result of my prayer? Do my prayers actually change God or change the outcome of things in my life? That's a pretty important question. I can't tell you how often I'll sit with someone and, and I, I, smart people, and, they, and they'll say something like this. Well, Aaron, I, I know that prayer doesn't change God. It just changes me, which, which I kind of on the surface think, okay, well, that kind of sounds right. Now, believe it or not, that's actually not a quote from the Bible. It's a quote from the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, who I immensely admire. And while I would certainly agree with the second part of that statement, prayer changes me, right? If I pray consistently, if I go before God's presence, I will be changed. I'm just not so sure about the first part of that statement. Is it really true that God doesn't change in response to my prayers? Turns out this is a pretty important theological question, and a lot of smart people get stuck here. And part of the problem is that the scriptures seem to say Two different things. Let me give you just one example. These are both from the minor prophets. So Malachi 3.6 says this. This is the Lord speaking. I, the Lord, do not change. Okay, interesting. Good. Got that side. Now look at Hosea 11.8. This is the Lord speaking again. My heart is changed within me. Okay. Both of these passages come from minor prophets. Both of them are part of the scriptures. Both of them come from the Bible. So which is it? Which is true? Well, of course, the answer is they are both true, right? But how do we make sense of this? Well, this is certainly part of the mystery of prayer. But let me see if I can unpack just a little bit of how I think both of these are true. Uh, People who argue that our prayers do not change God are usually concerned about God's sovereignty. They're trying to protect or to defend God's sovereignty. Their thinking goes something like this. If God, well, let me say this, God's sovereignty, if that's a a new word for you, God's sovereignty is kind of God's allness, right? You've heard this before. God is all-knowing. God is all-wise. God is all-powerful. God is all-present. That's all God's sovereignty. So their thinking kind of goes like this. If God is all-wise, as we say he is, doesn't he know already what is best? And if he is all-good, won't he do it whether we pray for that or not? Everything is the way it is because God determined it to be that way. And if that's the case, why bother to pray at all? Sounds pretty compelling. But I I love the author C.S. Lewis's answer to this. He said that you could actually use this same argument, and your kids probably have, for almost any activity in life. Well, why wash my hands, for example? If God wants my hands to be clean, can't he just make them so? 
Or why study for the test? Either God's going to cause me to pass or to fail, but why should I bother to prepare? Or why put on a seatbelt? Or why put on my shoes? Why do anything for that matter, C.S. Lewis says. God could have simply designed a world where these things happen on their own, but God chose a different style of governing the world. A partnership which relies on human agency. Lewis says that God granted the favored human species what one philosopher calls the dignity of causality. Isn't that interesting? God has allowed us to play a role in his world. You see, part of the problem here, I think, this is, this is just Aaron now, I think part of the reason this is hard for us, we, we tend to think of these as one or the other. Part of the problem is that we in the West live in what you would call a dualistic worldview. In the West, we think things are either this or they are that, but they cannot be both. Uh, But the worldview the scriptures often esteem is much more of an Eastern kind of thinking. It's It's a view that is not either or, but both and. And whether or not you know this, you actually practice this both and in certain settings. Let me prove this to you, right? Now, here's what I want you to imagine Thanksgiving dinner... This Thursday, you're going to eat, right? And after you're done stuffing your face, somebody's going to come to the table and they're going to ask you, do you want apple pie or pecan pie? And what is the correct answer? Both, right? This is not dualistic, it's both. Now, if someone comes to you and offers you pumpkin pie, what's the correct answer? Get behind me, Satan. That's right, that's, uh, that's just because... The 11th commandment is thou shalt not eat pumpkin. Pumpkins are for carving. It's not not for eating. But but see, you already get this, right? You, You understand a both and principle here. Just because God is affected by our prayers or because he might change course of action because of our prayers does not, does not call into question his sovereignty. Listen to how Lewis puts it. He says, the fact that God yields to man's petitions Changing his intentions in response to man's prayer is not a sign of weakness. God himself in the glory of his majesty and power has so willed it. In other words, in other words, why does prayer move the heart of God? Because God in his sovereignty has designed it that way. And why would we expect anything less? If the God who is defined as love itself. If that God's heart is not moved by our pain, in what way can we say he is all loving? Do you see how both and works? The beautiful mystery of prayer is that in its di- in, excuse me, is that it is a dynamic bridge that connects the creator to the creation. It connects God to us. It connects us to him. Somehow God has created you and me to be players in his great story. But press pause. More on that in just a moment. We need to turn to our third question for just a moment here. If God hears our prayers, which I'm arguing he does, if God is moved by our prayers, which I'm arguing he is, what are we to do with those prayers in our life that go unanswered? What are we to do when heaven seems silent? This, of course, could be a whole message unto itself, and I actually debated bringing that message this morning. But let me just say two things on this question 
uh, before we move on. First, uh, the, first is this. Sometimes I want to suggest when God doesn't answer a prayer, it might actually be a sign of his kindness. As the great uh, theologian Garth Brooks once sang in his song, uh, Unanswered Prayers. Y'all know Garth Brooks' Unanswered Prayers? You remember this song? It went to the billboard number one, right? Oh, yeah, come on. Uh, this song came, actually, I love this, came from a true life experience that Garth had. Uh, he was at a football game, uh, one of his old high schools, and uh, he saw this girl that he hadn't seen for a long time. And uh, he used to think that this girl, she was just beautiful, and uh, he was nuts about her and when he was in high school. And he used to pray that God would make her his wife. Uh, and of course, it didn't happen. And now all these years later, uh, he sees her again, and he, he wonders, he looks at her, he's, you know, in the song, he looks at her, and he thinks, what was I thinking, right? Like, he just has this kind of, whoa, wait. And then he, he says this in the song, that under his breath, he whispers, thank God for unanswered prayers. In fact, the punchline to the song is some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. This ever happened to you? Anybody ever have this, right? I remember being at a a kind of high school reunion event myself, and there was this girl, uh, and I had hoisted up no shortage of prayers that God would make her mine, and of course he didn't. And now decades later, I was standing there looking across the room, and I saw her, and it was so funny that all of a sudden she saw me, and then she began to whisper, thank God for unanswered prayers. Turn to the person next to you and tell them that you are someone's unanswered prayer, right? No, 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 I'm just kidding. Don't don't do that. Don't do that. You see, truth is, there are times when God's no might actually be an act of kindness. See, the deal, here's the deal. It is fundamental to the nature and kind of person that God is that he reserves the right to say no to some of our prayers. He does. Sometimes he says no because he really does want what's best for us, like a loving parent who knows what a child really needs. Still other times he might say no because what we're asking for isn't actually a good thing to ask for. Uh, This makes me think of St. Janice Joplin's prayer, Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz, right? Her, Her motive for that is all her friends have Porsches and she must make amens. And she doesn't, that's not the kind of prayer that God really wants to answer. But what do we do? What do we do? When we're asking for a right thing, a thing we know is a good thing, we're we're asking in a right way. We know that this is something that would please God's heart, and yet heaven just seems to be silent. God, would you heal my marriage? God, would you cure my disease? God, would you free me from this struggle or this addiction. God, would you protect my loved ones? Sometimes heaven is silent on these, and I really have no idea why. We ask with right hearts, we ask right requests, but sometimes we don't seem to get an answer. And there's a compelling story of a man, a father, who comes to Jesus one time. This is in the Gospels. He comes to Jesus and his daughter is sick. And I just feel the desperation of this dad, you know. He's there and he's literally, I mean, he's literally standing in front of Jesus. He says, Jesus, would you please come and heal my daughter, right? He's got a direct line to Jesus. But as the story progresses, we find out that by the time Jesus responds, it's too late. The daughter has already died. 
and, and, and my heart just sinks. I, I, mean, I can't even imagine. He comes to Jesus, and, and Jesus doesn't act fast enough, and his daughter's dead. And the story goes on, and we find that Jesus goes to the house, and, and he actually does one of the most mysterious miracles in all the Gospels. He actually raises the girl back to life. He, he resurrects her, literally. And I often have thought about that story because, you know, that, I don't know that that would ever be, I don't know that I have enough faith to pray that kind of prayer, you know. And yet, I think there's something for us in that. And here's what I think it is. I, I believe that there are just some prayers, some heartaches, some pains, some disappointments that we will not have answers to until we are on the other side of our own resurrection. There is some pain and some heartache, some prayers that will only, only be answered in our eternal hope. In Jesus. For those of you today that are asking that question, why, about an unanswered prayer, all I can say is, I don't know. I don't know why God didn't answer that. I can't point to a reason or an explanation. I can only point you to a person, to Jesus. Which brings us to our fourth and final question. Why pray at all? Why pray? I think the answer to this question is rather simple. It's actually kind of the Sunday school answer. You know why we pray? Because the Bible says to. Right? Why pray? Because Jesus has invited us to. Remember when our series began, the disciples come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, we've watched you pray. And when you pray, there is something markedly different than any of the other prayers we've ever seen in our life. Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And it's in response to that question that Jesus gives us what today we know as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, honored be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life, in my family, in my job, on earth as it is in heaven. Give me today what I need. Forgive me of the sins I've done to others, even as I forgive the sins that have been done to me. And oh, don't lead me into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. We pray because Jesus has invited us to pray. One of the most compelling Prayers, stories of prayer in all the Gospels to me comes from Matthew chapter 10. Uh, Jesus has been traveling from town to town and village to village. And he's been seeing just the struggle of people. Their heartache, their loneliness, their stress, their burdens. And he pauses at this one moment and he turns to the disciples and he says, "Do Do you see all these people? Do you see all these people? He says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed. They're helpless. And then Jesus says this, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the field. You see, Jesus had a vision for the people in those villages and towns, just like he has a vision for our villages and our towns our villages of Denver, our villages of Sheryl's Ford, our villages of Verdict Ridge and Westport and Gates, and I'm sorry if I can't remember the name of your neighborhood. Covington. There we go. Okay, a couple more. Jesus has a vision for your neighborhood, for your village, for our town. And this is his vision. 
That people, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter how old or rich or young or poor, that all might have an opportunity to come to know the love and grace of God that is found in Jesus. And prayer, my friends, prayer is the invitation to lock arms with God and join him on that mission. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What do we do? We pray to God that he would send workers into the field. And I think that is part of the vision that God is calling us to as a church in 2020. And I want to take just a few minutes to share a little bit about what I think that looks like for us in this coming year. It's hard to believe it was uh, actually this very month, six years ago, can you believe it? Six years ago that a small group of folks began meeting right here in this cafeteria to begin dreaming and praying and imagining what a Jesus-centered, grace-based, community-serving church might look like. What would it look like to give birth to a Lake Forest kind of church right here on our side of the lake? And a few months uh, later, February 2nd, Super Bowl Sunday, by the way, 2014, Lake Forest Church Westlake was born. That first year was a wild ride. We, were kind of, we had no idea what we were doing. Some of you all remember those days. We were just happy to get through another Sunday, right? We were just kind of going week to week. And as we learned, as we got our feet under us, God did the most amazing thing. He just kept adding to our number. He just kept bringing folks who'd given up on church but not on God. And they found a place of belonging and a place of serving and a place of purpose here among us. And so just a little bit later in 2015, we added our second service. Uh, That same summer of 2015, we sent out our first mission trip to work alongside Gabe and Jan Swing, our missionaries in the Bahamas. Uh, We began forming local partnerships with organizations like Hesed House, Door of Hope, East Lincoln Christian Ministries. In 2016, we took the courageous step uh, under the leadership of our elders and and buy-in from the church, and we purchased 40 acres of beautiful land on St. James Road that we prayed would become our permanent home as we put down roots, stakes, and became permanent stakeholders in this community. As part of that, we launched into our immeasurably more journey together. We only needed 800,000 to purchase that land and to fund that immeasurably more vision. But thanks to the generosity of you all, our church, you all pledged $1.2 million, more than $400,000 over and above what the actual vision cost. In 2017, we hosted our first ever Westlake service. We shut down church. We went out to serve in the community. In 2018, we completed the home for young women in Bon Repos, Haiti, who are living on the streets and are now able to come off the streets and acquire life skills and find a job to pay for their own needs. And now we enter 2019 and the work continues. And just three weeks ago, y'all, just three weeks ago, we crossed a huge milestone for us in immeasurably more. We have not only finished paying off the land in its entirety, we are debt-free, but we have also crossed the 90% completion line for our Immeasurably More campaign. We have received more than 1.1 million of the 1.2 million pledged. It is truly remarkable. Truly remarkable. Which means we have just $100,000 left to go to finish our Immeasurably More journey. But as amazing as all that is, and it really is amazing, truly amazing, The most amazing thing continues to be to me, not the money, not the buildings, not the trips. The most amazing thing to me continues to be the changed lives of people in this community. I think about marriages, couples that I've seen their relationships restored and healed. 
I think about the lonely who have found friends, spiritual family here at Westlake. I think about the people who've come to know Jesus for the first time, like so many of our fifth grade foundation graduates and one middle schooler this last summer who went on our middle school mission trip to serve Jesus, but instead she encountered Jesus in a powerful way and gave her life to him as a result of that. But it's not just the young who are experiencing new life. If you were with us this last Sunday in our 9 a.m. service, excuse me, 9.30, we baptized a 70-year-old man who for the first time took a step of faith to put his trust in Jesus because with our God, it is never too late to begin again. Lake Forest, God continues to use you in such powerful, powerful ways. And I just want you to know as your pastor how humbled, how grateful, and how thankful I am to be a part of that. But God's story in us and through us is not over. In fact, in many ways, it's just beginning. When we launched a little over five years ago, we knew that the western side of Lake Norman was poised to see incredible growth and incredible change in the coming years and decades uh, that folks from all over the U.S. would continue moving, relocating to our region because y'all are such awesome neighbors. People come from all over the place, right? They come from New York and Ohio and Michigan and Hotlanta. They even come from those strange, foreign, mysterious lands like Pittsburgh and Texas and Los Angeles. They come from everywhere. In fact, Charlotte it continues to be one of the fastest growing cities in our nation. And one study from a university over in Raleigh, uh, the godly one, not the one associated with the devils. Um, they, <laughs> there's a study out of uh, UNC Carolina that uh, pre- predicts that as many as 20,000, 20,000 new folks who will call our region home by the year 2040. Why does all this matter? Because as Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. A friend of mine recently shared with me a fascinating uh, map from the Lincoln County Board of Directors. Oh, sorry, excuse me, Board of Development. uh, That kind of lays out some of what's been going on in our region. I wanted to share these with you. Uh, What you'll see up on the screen here is a map of eastern Lincoln County, Lake Norman on your right. 16 going right up the middle, and their blue line is the 40 acres of land that we are now debt-free on, prepared and poised to break ground. Uh, That land uh, is right in the center of what we call the Westlake Triangle. What's really interesting to see is all of the, the other development that you're seeing there is developments that already exist. Those are homes that are already built and occupied. Many of you live in one of those homes. But you'll see now come up on the screen in purple some of the 3,000... 550 lots and homes that are approved on the books and are currently under construction. Let me say that again. 3,550 homes that are currently under construction are already approved by our county, right? Just get your mind around that. Now, what's really interesting is the county board of uh, development knows that they need to be preparing and thinking about the continued growth that's going to come to our region. And so they have have actually identified some of the properties that are likely to be new developments. And those you're going to see come up on the screen in green. God has providentially placed us right in the center of a region of Charlotte that will explode and continue to explode in the next few decades. And whether you like that growth or do not is not the point for today's conversation. The point is, 
The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And y'all, we have our work cut out for us. God has entrusted us with an amazing mission if we will but follow his lead. So what's next for us? What's next? Well, on February 2nd, 2020, Super Bowl Sunday, by the way. Don't worry, the Panthers will not be there, I promise you. (laughs) On February 2nd, 2020, our sixth birthday as a church, we will embark on a brand new journey together. We will embark on our 2020 vision campaign. For five weeks, we will gather and we will worship and we will pray and we will study God's word and we will seek God's wisdom and we will seek God's provision for this next leg of the journey together. And if God moves, if God moves in the way that he moved in immeasurably more in a spirit of generosity and sacrifice and faithfulness, and if we achieve a successful campaign commitment, we are poised and ready to break ground in the summer of 2020, seven or eight months from today. Can you believe it? Yeah, you can applaud that if you want. That's pretty nuts. That is nuts. The plans for the buildings are in the works, thanks to the generosity of Immeasurably More. And there's so much more that we could share. I can't wait to share about all of that with you. I know you've probably got lots of questions. Please hold on to those questions. We're going to try and address all of those questions, share pictures, images, hopes, plans, all of that with you during that vision campaign in February. You will not want to miss it. But for now, for today, before that day comes, I want to call us to one thing. Perhaps the most important thing before we begin on this new journey together. I want to call us as a church to prayer. Why? Because our prayers matter. And it's in prayer that we lock arms with God and join Him on mission together. So three things I want you to pray. Join me in praying for. And the first is this. I want you to pray for the 2020 Vision Campaign. I'd love for you to pray that God would begin preparing our hearts and our lives for this significant step of faith together. Y'all, this is a God-sized vision, which means it's not anything that any one of us can do. It's going to take all of us. But God-sized visions come with God-sized provisions. And we're going to look to God to lead us in that journey. The second thing I want to ask you to pray for is I want you to be praying for your one more person. If you're new to Lake Forest, that phrase, one more person, is our code language for that one person in your life, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your office, in your gym, on your son or daughter's sports or dance troupe. This is the one more person in your life that needs a place like Lake Forest Church where they can come as they are and they can discover a God of grace and of love and live out their role in his story. Who is that one more person for you? Would you commit to praying and inviting that person. Third and finally, I want you to pray for this, that Jesus would remain the center of everything we do. As amazing as having our own building will be, and it will be amazing, and yes, it will have a whole new set of problems too. We know that, we know that, right? It'll be an amazing tool to serve our community, our friends, our neighbors, those who need to know about the love of Jesus. As amazing as that will be, 
It will be nothing more and nothing less than another tool that the Lord has put in our hands to serve his mission in our community. Jesus has always been and will always be the center of everything we do here at Lake Forest. And we need to pray that he will allow us to keep our eyes fixed on him. In just a moment, we're going to end our worship time by coming to the communion table, Jesus' table. And we've placed it in the center of our worship today as a reminder that he is the center of everything we do. But before we do that, I want us to pray together. 